You're listening to 128, a podcast about spiritual maturity, real people, real talk, real life. Hey everyone, welcome to 128, based on Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Dave and Sarah Williams, just an amazing couple with three great kids. And um, I think you're going to be really blessed by hearing their story. Uh, Sometimes we learn the best lessons we're in the, when we're in the middle of difficult circumstances. And um, they're going through some really difficult days and have been for uh, the last couple of years. I think you're going to love their perspective in these days. I think you're going to hear the rawness of the moment, but also the authentic devotion and love of Christ in it. So without much further ado, let's get into it. I'm here with David and Sarah Williams, two incredible people who uh, have a wonderful family. And I had the privilege of seeing your son on Thursday, which is exciting. He's uh, He loves drones, those video drones. And I love people who love video drones. <laughs> and so I have an opportunity to be with him. And uh, I'm just so thankful that we get a chance to have a conversation together um, about spiritual maturity and about your journey of faith. Um, for those listening, I am uh, your pastor. I'm the pastor of Dave and Sarah, and I've had an opportunity to see them through some great ups in their lives, and then for the last couple of years, through some pretty trying times. And their responses to those times have just been stellar, and I've always really admired that. And it's also been a privilege to be a prayer partner with them and just to pray for them consistently, which I do, and um, pray for them regularly and pray especially for their daughter, Lydia. Um, but uh, they just have, they're an exceptional couple with an exceptional family. And so I'm just glad that we can get into your story a little bit. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And thanks for praying. Thanks for, thanks for being here. All right. Well, let's, uh, first, let's start with, uh, ladies first, Sarah, let's start with you. Uh, where were you, are you from the area? I grew up in Plainfield. You grew up in, oh, you're really from the area. I am from the area. So a uh, Plainfield proper downtown or on the outskirts? No, on the outskirts. It was unincorporated Plainfield. Did you grow up on a farm? No. Just no, in a small just, subdivision that was new, newly built in the late seventies. And uh, uh, do you have siblings? I have an older, or a younger brother. He's younger. forty-five. Forty-five. Okay, so, so he's three years younger than me. Three years younger than you. So you're the first and um, the responsible one. Yes. And then you were gifted with a brother to dress up. Yes, I'm sure I dressed him up. I'm sure I dressed. <laughs> were you raised in a in a home of uh, people who follow Christ or did they not know Christ or was it, were they marginally Christian, moral people? How- well, my mom became a believer when I was a baby. Okay. And so she's a believer. My dad is not. Mm-hmm. And so we grew I grew up going to church with her. Okay. And her um, thought was we were going to go to church with her until I think it was eighth grade. Like it was just, we had to go. Like we didn't yeah. have a choice. Your parents had decided yeah, my parents had decided this is how this was going to be. And and actually, I think, I I mean, we all went, I think my brother even went through high school as well. Where did your mom so, go? Um, Plainfield Congregational Church. Okay, excellent. So. And so you, uh, your your mom and your dad, it sounds like, had an arrangement. 
which was your mom said, let me have the kids and have them go to church with movies. And your dad probably thought, let's let them have a nice moral foundation. But then at some point they need to decide for themselves. And I don't particularly believe in this and they should at least have that right. Is that yeah, I, I don't, I don't actually know how the, I don't know went. how that arrangement went. I just, I do know that for a long time, I remember him going to church with us for Christmas and Easter. And then he felt like that he felt hypocritical that he would only go on those times. So he doesn't go anymore. And that, he didn't go. That had been heartbreaking for your mom. I, I, as well, I right? think it probably was. I haven't talked to her that much about it. Of course, she prays for him often. Yeah. Um, and so do we. But, you know, he's not against church. Like, he knows how we're raising our family. He knows that she, she goes to church. They live in Missouri now. And, and she goes to church and he supports her going to church. Yeah. So he's not... He's a great guy. Oh, he is a great guy. Sure, yeah. It's not. That. I love him a lot. It's just that uh, he just is like it's not my thing. Yeah. Just in case if he's listening, no. <laughs> well, sure, no. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it, we're talking about reality here, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So, all right. So, uh, so you grew up going. Now, when did you make a decision to follow Jesus? Was when that I was early, when I was eight, Good mm -hmm. News Club, and there was like an after-school club, and I accepted Christ when I was eight, and then throughout high school well through elementary i was in awana and then high school i became involved in the fellowship of christian athletes and was pretty involved in that and then in college um that's probably where i grew in my faith the most until recently fellowship of christian athletes mm -hmm. what were, what was your athletic i played softball, softball. That's it. okay yeah. wow slow okay. pitch so i wasn't that good but i well Good enough to be considered an athlete. Yes. And yeah. be in the fellowship of Where'd you yeah. go to college? Illinois State University. Okay, that's a red red bird. Red bird. Mm -hmm. I always want to say red hawk and I'm always wrong. No, you're yeah. It's Every a red single bird. time I have this conversation. It's the mascot that looks like a red robin. Yes. Yeah. And red Robins, right? Yeah. Dave, how about you? Now where did you grow up? I grew up in Naperville. In Naperville. Yes. So not too far from each other. Yeah. In the house that my dad still lives in today. So just at Arrow Estates, which is, you know, just south of the mall. Wow. Small little airport. So, your, yeah. And your dad was a flyer. Yep. He was a pilot. and Nationally renowned for restoring planes. He right? was extremely well known, uh, probably still is, but was well known for restoring antique airplanes and really for the quality of the restoration that he would do. Mm -hmm. So. And uh, growing up, what was it like growing up? How was that for grew you? Up, grew up in a Christian home. My Mom and dad were both Christians and, and, you know, I was involved in church from kind of day one. I mean, go to church every Sunday, uh, go to Awana, go to youth group. Yeah. And, and so. Born I, into the church nursery. Pretty much. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And my mom was extremely involved in everything in the church. We went to actually Bible Baptist church, which was actually, I think. Grace Point, formerly Naperville Bible, Naperville Bible, was a church split, yep. I believe, from Bible Baptist. Yeah, it had to do with outreach. Is that what it was? There okay. was a group that um, wanted to reach out to the city, and they had a, it was a radio program, wanted to be more evangelistic. Interesting. And so uh, that be, that was those were the early roots of Naperville Bible Church. Interesting. So anyway, so there was a relation there. But anyway, so I grew up at Bible Baptist Church going until into college and that's when my parents switched over to grace point and uh and then during college when i came home from college i i switched to 
So we're, when did you become a believer? I became a believer at, I can't really pinpoint exactly how old it was. I think it was around seven. I remember distinctly. About the same age as Sarah. Yeah. I distinctly remember my mom leading me to Christ in our kitchen. So, yeah. and you were, and, and you did, was there any, for either one of you, cause I, by the way, I have a very similar background. I was born practically into the church. Like the week after I was born, I'm pretty sure I was in church on Sunday morning. Um, and so I was so familiar, right. With the gospel and I was so familiar with church, the Bible stories that there was a certain, that that familiarity for me actually almost became a blockage, uh, for me at least to coming to faith a little bit later on. And, and early on, I, I made a profession of faith, but I didn't really kind of give my life over to Jesus at that time, but I did make a profession. Now my sister made a profession young and it stuck. Like she knew exactly what she was doing, which sounds like the case for you guys. And so did you wrestle at all with the familiarity of everything or was it just what a gift this is and we don't have to worry like this is not a struggle for us that we're so immersed in this world i i think for me i never doubted that i was a christian but it was after when i got to college and i was in the high school youth group and involved but when i got to college and i saw and i met and through university i went to university of illinois they had a very strong university chapter at the time university of illinois in champagne and so that's the Fighting Illini? Fighting Illini. All right. Isn't uh, that the, one of the big rivals to the Redbirds or not? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, we our rival was Michigan and Indiana. Yeah. Big Ten. Yeah, Big Ten. Different so, school. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we competed against Illinois State in, in basketball and I'm sure other sports. but Slow pitch softball? Probably. <laughs> I didn't play probably softball in college. Softball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so, not that good. But, uh, but anyway, I don't remember where I was. That's okay. You were in... Oh, it was when I got to University of Illinois that I that I really met some Christians who were really serious students who are very serious in their faith. And that was a pivotal moment for me. And just in terms of understanding, like, OK, there's a whole nother level here that I see other people and wanting to strive to have depth to my to my belief. They to weren't my just walk. trucking along. No, they were the current carry them. Yeah, um, because. I mean, there's, there's a real danger there, right? What happens if there's no more current, right? Yeah. And so where do you kind of lie with that? So that was an eye-opener to see people swimming. Right. To kind of extend the metaphor. Out. And, and you know, we recently, one of the couples that was in the, very involved in the IV chapter just joined our church, Mike and Kara Haas. Yeah. Great so people. like they were leaders in IV back when I was there. So InterVarsity Fellowship. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Okay. So for the listeners who don't know what that is, um, can you let them know what that is? Because there's the navigators. Yeah, I mean, Campus it, Crusade for Christ. I mean, University Fellowship. It was one of the kind generation. of three, two or three main, what I thought largest sort of Christian chapters of or like a parachurch. Yeah, parachurch organizations that weren't starting, from a specific college students. College students only. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So absolutely. So okay. So you're you're both in college at this point. You haven't met. Um, what happens next? So do you both, do you both graduate from college? Um, I graduated, um, in 93 okay. and then I moved back to the area and taught. I was a middle school math teacher in Lombard. Oh, really? Yep. So mm -hmm. I, and that's when I started coming here was when I graduated because I moved home to student teach mm -hmm. and then I started coming to Naperville Bible church. 
Wow. Um, and then I, well, I've been coming ever since. A yeah. middle school math teacher. Yes. That that takes some courage all yeah. by itself. Yeah. Was that your goal coming out of college? Were you yeah. excited to do that? Yeah, you... that was my, I originally started wanting to teach math. Okay. And then I realized I didn't want to teach super high level math, mm -hmm. but I wanted to still teach like upper, I didn't want to do elementary. So Illinois State had a um, middle school math pro or a middle school education program. So I went through that. And you said that your faith really started to blossom in college. Yeah. I was also involved in University Christian Fellowship. Really? So both of you managed to find the same yeah. organization on two different campuses. And we think yeah. we were even at the same chapter camp. They would have at the end of the year, they'd have a a week of where you could extra, where you could go after finals, wherever you could go up to Northern Michigan. They had a camp up there. We think we were even there perhaps one year Yeah. at the same time. As you were on those campuses separate, I'm just curious about the separate experiences, but there's, because they're so similar, mm -hmm. right? Both in the same organization, kind of tied into the same thing. And you both have such similar backgrounds. Um, you surely saw a lot of other professing Christians who grew up Christian, who knew the lingo, but fell away in college. And maybe didn't just fall away, but maybe discovered that they actually weren't followers to begin with. It was just, a part of their cultural milieu, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to pronounce that really fancy, but you know, the cultural kind of, uh, around them. Um, oh, that's pretty good, milieu, <laughs> milieu. I was pretty impressed. Thank you. Uh, so uh, how did you distinguish? So what do you think was the big difference maker between those who thrived with Christ and those who really struggled to find a footing? Because the organization was there for anyone really to find it. Did someone reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? How did it work for you? I reached out to them. My first semester, I kind of floundered. Like I never got involved in like bad things, but I never felt connected with people. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was very homesick. And my parents reminded me of this just recently when we sent our first daughter to college that I I struggled and I wanted to come home, not to, not to leave college, but just I wanted to come home on the weekends. And so after Christmas break, I think it was that I... I sought out a Christian organization because I, I just didn't fit anywhere else. And so I, the friends that I surrounded myself were pretty strong believers. So once I was there and in that group, I don't feel like I had a lot of friends that did fall away, but it was more like high school and the very first semester that I saw, Oh wait, I thought you were a Christian and you're choosing a completely different path than what I, what I would choose in that way. What did you what did you do in the group? Because you mentioned you had your friends. It's not just belonging, but well, you're clearly doing something right. Related to I mean, we were to, we were involved in small groups. I actually led some worship. I I can play the guitar, and yeah. so I led some worship in our like big chapter meetings. Um, I was a small group leader. I think my junior or senior year. So I was I was pretty involved. So you were with, serving. I was serving in that in that area. I guess. Dave, what about you? What, what was it? Can't say I served a lot, uh, no. but but I did. But it was a great experience. My mom, the one thing she said before I went to college, she's like, "You have to find a Christian organization. You need to get plugged in." Uh -huh. And 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 so I got plugged in, even you know, in the few days before school started. So you listened to, to Interverse. I listened to my mom because she was she was adamant. Like, there's only one thing you got to do, and it's like, That's you know. Great find a Christian organization. And she, Mom's, I don't remember, Mom's she might've, oh, saying. she knew for sure. Yeah. But she might've even actually called down there and found, found an organization and said like, here's your, like, here's a great group or whatever.
but I do remember getting plugged in with my dorm and, you know, literally in the first few days. And those ended up being sort of most of my group of friends. And they were, you know, all of, I don't know many that have fallen away in the last, like, you know, 20 yeah, for those, for those who are involved and decide to study scripture and pray and like go there. But there's, I always think of all of those who have that opportunity who just simply said, uh, no, no, thanks. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to do whatever it is I want to do. Right. And they just choose other things. And there's a line from Billy Crockett that says hearing uh, lesser voices, uh, they turn them into choices. And uh, I always think of kind of the contrast there. Okay, so you're uh, you graduate, Sarah. You uh, you're in Lombard. You're a middle school teacher, and you find your way to Grace Point at some point. Dave, you graduate. I graduate. I go to Russia for a summer, and well, then eventually, just you go to Russia for a summer. Well, I the day I graduated, uh, back up just a little. It's so abroad, abroad. you know. I graduated college. I think what every college student does, you know, you go to Russia. I left for Russia that evening on the day of graduation. We had to miss the second half of the graduation. Why so Russia? I could leave. Because I was a little bit of an entrepreneur and I I wanted to start a business. Okay. So this is ninety what? Ninety-three. Ninety-three. So 93. this is post Velvet Revolution. What's the Velvet Revolution again? Yes, that's where the your uh, communism falls. Oh, is that oh the ninety one? Yes, okay. Post the Russian Revolution. Right. Yes. And so but but again, that's a big world. I mean, there's all kinds of countries you can go right. to. Right. I had studied abroad my junior year in, in college. I got plugged into the equivalent of university. And when I was in, in the UK studying abroad, they, the Christian Union, as it was called, yeah. brought in a speaker. And he was an American from somewhere in, I think he's from Los Angeles or something like that. And he was taking mission trips. He was a missionary in the UK from the US, but he would take mission trips to the former Soviet Union. So he sent in December of 91, he came back and came to the Christian Union, spoke and brought a Russian guy who he had met, who was visiting him and had become a Christian. And this Russian guy, Vladimir, I got to be talking afterwards and it just sounded really interesting. It sounded like there was a lot of opportunities for business. And he said, why don't you come visit? So I took my spring break and went to Russia in 1992. And then I hit it off with him. My sister was there. She came from the States. We went and kind of did that. And then eventually fast forward a year and I was, I had organized student tours of, of Russia for starting the day that I graduated for the summer. So you're aware that's unusual, right? That is I just, I just want to make unusual. sure. Yes. I did not even, inter I, I didn't even interview. I didn't want a job. I was just like, yep, I'm going to go to Russia and I'm going to, you know, you say it super nonchalantly or you actually came out the gate and you said, yeah, I went to Russia because I want to be an entrepreneur. But like, wait, when you, when you, I'm just going to back up just a little bit. When you, the, the progression of that was that you did a year abroad in the UK. So that's already somewhat unique. Right. Where in the UK were you? Uh, Birmingham in Coventry, yeah. University of Warwick. Okay. So, and so uh, studying there for a semester, then God gives you, you get involved with the Christian Union there. Right. Then there's a speaker who's a missionary. That speaker leads these tours, right? Well, no, he he would go evangelize in the Soviet Union. He brought one of the 
his converts back to Birmingham to visit him, and he brought him with him when he spoke. But that person was a God-ordained uh, divine appointment for you because that was going to be a person you were going to be friends with. Yeah. And that was going to introduce you to, you know, Russian culture. And, right. And I became business partners with him and eventually moved to Russia the day I graduated. So that's incredible. So I spent the summer there, came back for a year. And then while I was working here, that's when I met Sarah. So you're an 18 year old entrepreneur. I was. Yeah. Okay. And uh, maybe it was 20. I was 20 or 21 okay. because that was only it was after college. It was oh, after, after college. college. So after 20, 21, 22. Right. A 20, 21, 22 year old entrepreneur now living in St. Petersburg. Right. In Russia. Yeah. And uh, with a with a business partner who's Russian, whom you've known for roughly a year. Yeah. And the business is was something called U.S. Subs. That was my first business. So and it was called U.S. Subs. It was Subway. Yeah. Subway sandwich restaurant. So I just you started by planning France really. I just did opened. you create it or did you? No, I went to a, a friend had been over in Estonia, and he had seen a sub sandwich restaurant. And he's like, "Wow, that seems really easy, really successful." And so I was looking for a business to start. I knew I was moving over to Russia. I was look. We were looking for a business to start. And when we got there. I said, well, what about a sub sandwich business? And I had spent an hour at a Subway restaurant just watching them. And I was like, this is assembly. This is not actually terribly difficult. This is this is sandwich assembly. So we got over there. My Russian partner agreed. And we started a delivery service for all the Westerners that were living in St. Petersburg. In the process, the you're having to activate a whole new skill set, though. As a Christian, now this is a Christian in formerly communist bloc Russia yep. that had systemic uh atheism that was ardently pushed in the early 90s there's somewhat of a uh spiritual awakening yeah there was a there was a big openness i think at that point in 1991 1992 93 the commission was going on which was a bunch of you know parachurch organizations getting together the navs university and sort of evangelizing in schools co-mission that's a great yeah i like that commission co-mission right so and so, but in the meantime, you're learning about uh, supply chain. You're looking about ordering food. Yeah, and I and I only did that for a very short amount of time. I did that for about six months, and then I went to work for, uh, to work for an American company that was doing real estate development there. Wow. So you, but did you launch the subway shop? It was just one. Just we one just did one. And it wasn't a subway. It wasn't even an actual subway location we just did delivery so we just so, had a location we assembled sandwiches yeah, but you had to work out and it was order by and phone and yeah i mean my russian partner did russian. well yeah my russian partner did did most of that i mean okay. you know I mean, he did his half i did my half so okay but and uh i mean that was a short <laughs> amount of time but it worked fine right. it wasn't anything that got anyone rich totally, you know? I, I but know. it was fun totally get it but no and it was deal. the wild west it was the wild it was interesting okay so six months later after you're there you're now working for an american Six months there, I'm working for an American company and doing real estate development. And still uh, very much surrounded, like you've been able to, God just blessed you with Christian friends. Yeah, uh, my friends were, a lot of my friends, I mean, I had a few Russian friends, but most of my friends were the missionaries that I was rooming with, you know, so I would, I had roommates and they would be, you know, missionaries. So I got to know a bunch of missionaries who were working and I'm still friends with those people today. And I got to see sort of firsthand what they were doing and their missions and effectiveness and what did that how long were you in st petersburg 
I was, I ended up being there for, from 1994, July of 94 to really 1999 full-time. Wow, so almost so five years and then, and then another year, uh, sort of going back and forth, but. And, uh, and got into real estate, got into real estate and did real estate development with another Western firm out of, based out of Chicago. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was just super interesting. It was, it was, it was exciting for me. What was it like to be a Christian overseas in terms of the development of your faith from a missional perspective? Because uh, I know somewhat of that area and that culture and churches. And if you're working with missionaries, they're trying to be intentional. It's not just lifestyle evangelism. They're running events. They're trying to right. figure out ways. And if that's your friendship circle, then you're surely doing a lot of that as well. Yeah, I was watching them, you know, and I think, I mean, they all were working in schools and doing small groups and doing things like that. And I was, I, I had my job, so I was doing most of, you know, business related. And they would always introduce themselves like I'm a missionary. I'm like, well, I'm here to exploit the motherland. And I wasn't actually here to exploit the motherland, but, but I was the business guy. And I mean, it was, it was, it was just very interesting to see them. And we were in an international church together. Yeah. So, you know. So you're in an international church. What's your spiritual walk like in this, those five years? You know, I, I feel like it was up and down. I mean, like, like, I feel like a lot of people, but, uh, I mean, I didn't, I love being overseas. I love being a part of a international church and, you know, and seeing sort of seeing the work that was going on right there. Was there a, uh, was there a, um, you feel like in retrospect, looking back that God had this thing that he was trying to teach you about himself or trying to teach you about yourself or get you through in terms of growth? Or I do you think it was just kind of status quo? Just I think he put in me a heart for missions and for supporting missions. That's what I, I see now, you know, because I, I love missions. I love supporting missionaries. And I feel like that's what I, what, what God really taught me uh, during that time. There's a lot of similarities between the entrepreneurial exercise and missions work because they're both entrepreneurial in nature. It's just one relies more on the processes um, and the other, you know, the, the Holy Spirit has to open the door or you're not going anywhere. Right. Um, so it's a, but you still have to be willing to risk. Yeah. And so they share a risk on that. Okay, so it's 1990. Now, Sarah, did you meet Dave in 1999, or did you meet him no. while he was in St. Petersburg? We met him. He was he in, was home for a summer, for for almost a year, and we met right after she got a job and moved to Naperville. Right, and then we were in um, we were both in what was called the Young Pros um, here at Naperville Sing, Bible Post College Singles Group at Grace Point. So whenever you would visit, you'd be at that. No, I was living here then. So okay. this is in the year. You know, I spent a summer. Yep. After I graduated abroad, then I spent nine months back here, and then I moved overseas. So in that Got nine it. months that I was here, I was the visitor guy, and for he the, would he would greet people. and I greeted, and this pretty young girl came in. So you were serving. with her boyfriend, I will say, but we so got you, rid of him. So you were serving, and then you walk Sarah with her boyfriend. I'm like, yeah, she's that's a good one. <laughs> You're like. Jesus, welcome. Jesus welcome. loves you very much. <laughs> welcome to the group. So he was he was the social guy you know i mean like he the would introduce and, he was the breeder yeah. um so yeah so we were both involved 
in there. And then he went back to Russia and then came home for Christmas. And we were all at the same New Year's. We were at a, a New Year's Eve party together, Grace Point for Naperville Bible, and then uh, Ginger Creek put on a big New Year's Eve party for singles. Oh, great. Um, in fact, Don Mulder was a... Um, Don and Karen Mulder that's how basically started dating well. the same night that we started dating. So, so then we just started... That wasn't planned was no. not planned. I just want to kind of confirm that yeah. that was no way planned. That's just the same kind of funny. No, no. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so we started dating long distance then. We wrote letters back and forth um, in, it was January of 1995. And I went to go visit him in the summer with his, with one of our mutual friends and then his sister and brother-in-law. And the boyfriend's out of the picture. Oh, he's, he's long story. gone. I don't even remember who it was. <laughs> she says, but... <laughs> She knows absolutely who it was. It's just that they wanted me. To, he yes, did. I mean, I'm, that's all that counts, right? I'm very thankful for that. Very thankful. <laughs> so you're writing letters, mm -hmm. right? And this is during the five years. And that's a great way to get to know someone. It was actually really, I mean, I thought it was, it was, we had a lot of deep conversations because all we could do is talk and write letters. We talked once a week because it was expensive to, on the phone. On the phone. Because this is uh, this is 1995. 1995. So internet isn't exactly thriving. No, he had email before I did, and then I got it through school, I think. And then, yeah, we we pretty much wrote letters, um, and we would talk once a week, and then so we dated a year, got engaged in '96, and got married in '97, mm. and then I moved over there. So you moved to St. Peter. Mm -hmm. Now, what was that like? To think, oh. We're married. I'm moving to Russia. And remember, you were the person who was afraid to be away from Plainfield, mm -hmm. even though you were uh, at uh, a Redbird, mm -hmm. which isn't too far away. No, it's like an hour and a half. From like an hour and a half away. Yeah. What was that like for you? It it was uh, it wasn't great. No. We had a bad experience when we first moved there. Well, we got married in June, and then in August we had a bad experience. We were robbed in our appointment in our apartment. Oh my goodness. So tied up. Gagged, tied up, gagged. Oh my goodness. So it was wait, 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 stop. You someone broke in, tied you up and gagged you while they robbed your apartment. Yes. So that's traumatic. That's it was traumatic. Time. And that it was traumatic. It was traumatic, especially for me, because I had only been there. I mean, it was tra traumatic for him too, but I had only been there for two months. So I'm like, oh my goodness, I moved from you, you know, my comfortable cocktail up, right? And right. Then, right. Oh yeah. I, I hardly knew any Russian. But then, cocktail means how's it going? Right. So, um, so from that moment on, so it was only two months into my stay there or oh, my wow. living there that now I don't trust any Russian men specifically. Yeah. I'm scared. I'm away from home. I'm newly married. Which you're still, um, like, people who are newly married, you're married, you're still working out that relationship. Right. David, you had to have felt like horrible, like the mathematics in your head. Well, I, I, I'm a I'm a rational person, so I was like, "This is I've never heard of this happening to anyone that I know. I've been here for three years. You know, this is just unheard. No one. So this never mind, happens. This I'm is like, like a this is a black swan event. And... Black swan event. You know, will never. You know, not likely to happen again. Got like, it. don't think this is going to happen every two months. So. So you, I was you, understanding, but I, but I, were you like, just stop it. No, I probably no, said, was, I, I probably, I was understanding, but I probably said like, Hey, this is not going to happen. Well, I don't think it's going to happen every two months. Right? You probably, you probably did, but I don't remember at all feeling like he, he was dismissive of the whole thing. And we didn't we, entertain. We didn't even entertain going home. 
yeah, we didn't. We, I wanted, Maybe of course, I probably wanted to go home, but we had agreed that I would go and we would live there for two years. Cause mm -hmm. you know, I had, um, I had a plan and my plan was I would get married and then I would work or do whatever for two years and then have kids mm -hmm. and then hopefully stay home with them. And so like, if we were in Russia for two years, I didn't want to be in Russia to have my kids. I wouldn't be close to my parents. Right. I, I wasn't. By the way, did Dave know about your plan yeah. before you got married? Oh yeah. We, we agreed on two years before we got married. Okay. But I was thinking like, yeah, of course. Like, let's let's start we'll with see two years and we'll see how it goes. She's like, you gonna don't have to make any promises. There. How are you not gonna like it? This is like the Wild West. This is yeah. This is awesome. And you're you know, it's you're close super, to everything. And we can and, go to you know, we can go to Rome for the weekend. Sure. Who wouldn't like that? So so, but we stayed. I mean, we stayed for two years, and the first the first time we came home after that experience was at Christmas time. But I knew. I mean, I knew that that's where I was supposed to be. My parents had lived in Germany when they, my dad was in the service yeah. and my mom wrote me a letter soon after it was probably a couple months into our marriage and knowing that I would probably want to be home mm -hmm. and, and be missing home, not necessarily be, I wouldn't want to be away from Dave, but sure. I would be missing home. And she wrote me a letter and she said, you will never regret being mm -hmm away it's uh, so good for our marriage great for our marriage great for our marriage what what not a lot of moms do that i know and that's a fantastic move by your mom i was going to say the other thing is that some, some for some marriages being overseas because you know it's a pressure cooker and especially if you're getting used to each other it either brings couples together or it pulls them apart and it sounded like this experience to start your marriage off with 24 months overseas was actually a godsend. In a way. I, think I, think, it, I think it was. I think it was. I think it was great because you took away a lot of the distractions. You know, I mean, if you live here until six months ago, you would have, you know, nieces and nephews and parties and things to go to and all these activities. And moving to Russia, just like the last six months, all there was basically no activities. Mm. And so you, we had a lot of time together. And, and it, was, it I, I'm very close to my family. Yeah. So it allowed me to be far enough away where I couldn't just run home. Yeah. And, and I mean, not that I would have done that, but like, you know, it was, it was harder to run home because I lived overseas and um, you know, we, again, it was 1997. So it's not like we called all the time and there's no texting and stuff. So it was, it was a good, it was a leave and cleave. Yeah, see, type sometimes situation. circumstantial hardship isn't a bad thing necessarily, but it can, it can, develop in people uh reliance on each other uh, uh, a determination a grit to get through some things how did you guys navigate faith together as a young married couple in that circumstance because you're you not you not only have to navigate russia and now you're in an international church there's a lot of good things there but um you're now together you see how each other really is behind the scenes you know if you're actually going to pray is God, a regular part of your conversation, or is he just a side hustle? You know, all of that stuff really comes to the surface. Um, I think in that moment, what, how was that for you? I don't remember navigating it. Like, I don't remember it being a big deal. I think we both were pretty strong in our faith. Um, and I don't know, it was just part of our lives that we, 
don't know. Do you remember? Yeah, that? no, I don't. I mean, I don't remember. You know, when I was li listening to the DeSantos or some of these other couples who have like prayed together every morning. Well, and I don't know how many years, but like, I, you know, we didn't start like that. And I, and I can't say today we need more of that. I know we need more of that. That's okay. I'm you know, so but uh, that's important to say. Yeah. Because not everybody starts that way, and not everybody right. has that. Good, you know, yeah. Couples develop too, but but. Uh, so what did you have? We were our our set of friends. We had a good set of friends that were um, also believers. We had we had a Bible study with them. Yeah. So we we found Christian friends. We were in a Bible study with them. We went to church every week. We and I think. And then we had just a bunch of missionary friends who I can't say we did tons of participation in what they were doing, yeah. but that was, but they were friends. They yeah, were friends. They were friends. And we were, you know, we were, it was, I mean, I, I loved being a part of that. And, and they just, were also newlyweds too. A lot of our friends over there were also newlyweds. So we all, very few of them had kids at the time. Right. Um, and so we were all kind of learning this new life together. Yeah. And the, that's the other thing is that just because you're not doing all the mission stuff, the fact that you're around missionaries who are like, no, we sold everything to come here, that you don't like check off, well, that's the missions part, and now this is the me part. You know, it's all kind of one, uh, kind of one person. It's just wrapped up in who you are. And um, did you, but so what's interesting to me is you went from uh, your high school experiences where you, you were both church kids. You kept the community aspect in college, but it sounded like things ramped up on the uh, word being in a part of, you know, really involved with the word of God, and then also an accountability with other Christians, and then involving the church again. And then when you go overseas, it's more church involvement, more being in the word, more prayer with each other more conversations about what's God doing here, what's God doing there. Um, and, and is that pretty close? Is that kind of what I'm, am I hearing that accurately? Or? I, I think, I think so. But I think there's one, like when we left, because in 99, we, it was two years, you know, yeah. that was my plan. Um, and I wanted to teach again here. I was teaching in Russia as well. I was working at an international school there. Oh, wow. Um, but I wanted to teach a little bit more here in a normal, like, I don't know, situation before we started having kids. So we came home and, and I think at that point it was just like, well, this is what we agreed to do. I don't remember doing a lot of, you know, let's pray about this for a while and see if this is what God really wants us to do. But it totally stretched me because, and I think stretched us because we were giving up what we had there to come back to sort of live up to our agreement and come back to here and sort of starting, starting fresh. Yeah. You know? In your mind, yeah, it's an agreement that it was, maybe that agreement will change based off of two years of this. And yeah. The, the agreement just didn't change. Well, and she didn't want to. And I was like, okay, you're right. This is, this is what we should do. And in retrospect, I look back and say, God knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Like it was the best thing. So it's interesting. He stretched her going there. He stretched you coming back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, that was, that, and and I would look, one of my kids asked me relatively recently, what is my biggest regret? And I think probably it's not being a little more open to staying mm -hmm. because in the scheme of life, 
two years is such a small blip in my life that I could have probably stuck it out a little longer. And, and, you know, I often wonder if the robbery hadn't happened, like, would I have just jumped right in and loved it? Probably not like he did because I'm not that like that, but would I have been a little more content there um, and just said, okay, let's just see. But I, I look and I say, don't know. God had it exactly perfectly. Yeah. Right. Like God knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. It's, you know, that's because you did stay. A lot of people would have left two months in with that right. kind of experience, yeah. but you did stay. And uh, had you stayed, then Dave wouldn't have been stretched coming back. Right. And then we wouldn't have gotten plugged into Naperville. Well, Grace Point. Point. Yeah. And, at, you know, we had a great group of, 20 couples who are young married that would meet in the chapel. Friends, and I mean, it was, life groups, yeah, we still know them today. We know them today. I mean, you know, lots of them we still see today are still so, involved yeah. in the church. So now you start, you come back, mm-hmm. uh, you get jobs, I assume. Yeah. I went back to the job that I left when I left to go over to Russia. I moved right back into the same school. And you start having babies. Mm-hmm. So right? we, we moved back in 99 and Elizabeth was born in September of 2000. Wow. Well planned. Well, Very well planned. <laughs> so, uh, three. Uh, how? What's the separation of the kids? Um, two years two, and three years. Two years and Elizabeth is uh, Elizabeth, Lydia, and Daniel, and they're two years apart, two and a half for Daniel and Lydia. Wow, that's tremendous. So now you got a family, and your kids are going to Grace Point, and mm-hmm. they're in some ways getting a similar experience to the experience that you had growing up as well. Mm-hmm. And there's no guarantees your kids are going to be followers of Jesus, but you hope. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, all three of them yes. are followers of Jesus and, and, and love God. Do you have a lot of faith conversations in the house? How is that for you? And where would you say that you've, because we're now, what, 20 years later, 21 years later. How, uh, how would you say that you have grown the most in your walk? Because there's a, a tipping point here at which... You're no longer immersed in the process of growing into a mature believer, but the devotion part is settled. Like, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. That doesn't make life any easier, um, but it does mean that you're not immersed in any one thing anymore. You just get reminded, oh, that's right, I should love your father. I should, you know, uh, that's right, it's about grace over here. <laughs> oh, there's that character thing I got to wrestle through. Um, but where would you say that you grew? When did you grow the most, and what was the catalyst for that? Um. Well, that's an easy one. I'm guessing that is a super easy one. I think we've grown the most in the past two and a half years. I have, and I, Me too, and I of course. you have too. Um, our daughter, our middle child, Lydia, um, back in January, 2018 came down with a chronic illness that we're still trying to figure out. Yeah. Um, and so it has caused us to just be solid in who God is. Um, I think for like 18 years, we strong in our faith, very firm, like, you know, we were very consistent going to church, you know, doing all of these things. Um, and everything was kind of working out like hard to tell the difference between God's plan and your plan for yourself. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're yeah. like, oh, well, God's plan is just great. Well, it looks exa- almost exactly like right. my plan. I'm, right. I'm right. really happy with this. Yeah. Everything's working out great. And I think that Lydia's illness that um, has really made us realize that God is sovereign. Mm. Um, he is, it, his timing is 
his timing, whether, and it's not mine because I would have had her healed two days after she got sick, Absolutely. you know, and I, I felt like for, I've wrestled a lot with, okay, well, why, like I'm, I'm doing everything right. Like I'm following you. I'm doing all the things that I have learned to do. Um, and my daughter, who also is a very strong believer is also doing that. So like, what's the what, problem here? What's the, the problem? What are, what are we waiting for? You know? Um, and As if somehow we can trigger right the divine right like, but, but if i do all these things then you have to and and i realized that a couple times like in some of my prayers i was like i really feel like i'm like trying to manipulate god and then it, and then i was so convicted because i'm like this is he is going to do what he is going to do in his perfect timing and and so i think that would i would say i have grown more in the last two and a half years than i have in the you know, first 46 of my life. And I would agree with that. And for me too, because I can't control whether Lydia gets, you can control a lot of things yeah. or you feel like you can control things. I can't control whether, when and whether Lydia gets well. I hope and pray and think that she will, but I have no guarantee of that. And I've, that's how I can deal with it is, okay, it's actually not my responsibility to get Lydia well. I would love it to happen. Yeah. I expect it to happen. I pray for it to happen. I think it will happen. Yeah. But it's actually not my I don't think it's my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. He is Only completely in charge of this and I can do nothing. Yeah. I could take her to every doctor in the country and if it will she will only be healed when God says. The uh now's a good time just to uh, say that Lydia has just had a really beautiful response to this to, to being sick and, um, and being tired and being sick of being sick and tired and she's just had a, a really beautiful uh, gracious um, heroic courageous reliance on God in the middle of that and at times I said some things that I think have inspired everybody and a whole bunch of the, us myself included have been praying for you guys I think every day love of this journey um the there's no pain quite like the pain of seeing someone you love hurt um it's one thing to be the person in pain it's a whole other thing to see someone you love really hurt and i mean would literally give your life for and see that there's you're suddenly powerless um it's interesting that it's it's in the face of that powerlessness that you start to see the power of god work you know, even though it's not always what you want at that moment, the way that you want him to display the power, it's amazing how often you have these God moments, these conversations with God, you never thought you'd have, but that somehow bring greater enrichment to your lives. I think it's really grown our, our family. Like, I mean, Elizabeth and Daniel have had to deal with it as mm -hmm. well. And, um, you know, they... And also two incredible kids. Like, incredible. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I shouldn't say none of them are kids. They're no, all, they're like, all young. They're all right. to be adults. Right. So, so you know, I think they we have as a family grown in saying, okay, well, some of the things we used to do we can't do as easily anymore because of Lydia's illness. But we still like we spend more time together probably than we we would have because we're you know they she wasn't involved in a lot of stuff and we couldn't do a lot of the sports and all those things. Um, but I think it, it's been, like Dave said, 
if we can't, like we can't, we could go to as many doctors as we want, or we could spend the money, we can take the time, and and God is. And you do this, you do That's not to say we're not doing anything. You do oh, everything you can do. We will do everything we can do. Yeah, absolutely. That's all you. Right. But at the same That's time, but we don't control the. That's outcome. all you can. Do. Yeah, we don't control the outcome. Yeah, there's a, it's a, there's certain passages in scripture, right? Um, when I'm weak, he's strong, right? He's, he's, there are certain passages about reliance, passages about suffering uh, that you don't, that you can really only understand experientially. Um, but when you're, when you're there and you understand them, suddenly there's a whole, there's a whole other world of insight that opens up to you. And I think this is, this is helpful for people to, to hear and to know. Because I grew up with a hero of faith, um, you know, in my own life. And, and my mom was the reason I came to faith. And, and I watched her have leg amputated and go through surgeries and, and yet had this extraordinary faith. And she had more joy than I did. And that's why I became a believer. But we would have conversations, I'm guessing 90% of families wouldn't have. And they'd be conversations about God's sovereignty. They'd be... They'd be conversations that never minimized or took away the hurt or the pain, and yet at the same time were full of depth and insight, and at times laughter and at times tears. You know, there was a; those are just some waters that uh, that few people get to swim in. We've had more conversations about faith and God as a result of Lydia's trials with our kids than cumulative in the prior. 16 years and what's it like for you as a couple trying to navigate this and because you know there's a lot of conversations in your bedroom and in the office and in the car and he uh, she wakes me up in the middle of the night from time to time i mean it's hard yeah like i it's harder for her i feel like i'm a much more emotional person i also deal with the you know i make the appointments and i i deal with i deal with some of the like i don't know administrative stuff more than he does. So it's on my mind. And, and it's basically my job, right? Cause I'm at home helping take care of her. Um, and so he, I think we've done a pretty good job at staying on the same team. There, there are times when in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and I'll just be so upset or, and I'll like wake him up and he'll pray with me. And and like he, and he's never really frustrated at me that I wake him up in the middle of the night. I'll go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Again, that response of let's it's, pray. Yeah. And and it, it really like. Well, what else can we do? We can't do anything. I can't, I well, can't fix it. Right? And I never had that before. Like, I mean, there was never cause to wake him up in the middle of the night and be like, I'm so concerned about this right now. Can you pray with me? And so it's a different, I think it's a different side of us that I didn't see. He's a very solid person. Even just growing up before we had issues with Lydia's illness or the kids going to church, it was never a question of like, are we going to go to church or, you know, Dave is always, he's a very even keeled, you know, this is what we're doing. Consistent and but firm. Yes. And, and like for him, when I'm upset or questioning what God is doing through this entire thing, he'll say, God knows what he's doing. And sometimes it's frustrating to hear, even though it's the truth. Sometimes I just want him to say, well, this is what we need to do. We're going to fix it. Um, but he's very, and and so he keeps me in check with that. And um, I think it's been good for our marriage. I think it has too. And it's been great for Lydia's, I mean, 
Lydia's spiritual growth. We didn't know her spiritual depth before she got sick. I don't think she knew her spiritual depth. She, and she didn't have that spiritual depth that she has now, which is an amazing depth. I have to say that like there are times when I I would start like going into the my journal time or my Bible reading time and I'd be like not happy. And I I would just go and be like, okay, I'm gonna read my Bible now. And then by the end, or I'd be writing down my prayers and it starts off kind of like a complaint but um by the end i'm like it's like praise and i felt like it was a, a time of psalms you know how sometimes david will start with like these like when are you going to help me lord and then by yeah. the end he's praising and so i i really believe that through this entire trial it has gotten i have gotten a little more firm in my devotion to the word and how if i didn't have that i don't I don't know how I could have gotten through it. Well, people who don't think the Bible is real haven't read those Psalms, have they? Right. Because that's exactly what it's like. There's, a, I want everyone listening to understand that this is actually what spiritual maturity looks like in hard times. That um, it doesn't, the challenges of life, um, it doesn't mean the challenges aren't any less hard, but what does spiritual maturity look like? It looks like people who wake up going, where else would we go, God? We have you. And uh, we're not going to worry about whether we have goosebumps today. We're not going to worry about, uh, you know, whether we're, we know the biblical Greek or the Hebrew. It's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wake up. We're going to rely on you. We're going to pray our way through it. And the truth is we're going to be faithful. And at different points along the way, remind us how to love you more. Remind us what we need to see in your word. Keep revealing yourself. And that ultimately, that's what it means to be spiritually mature, you know. We talk about it all the time at Grace Point. We say the definition of spiritual maturity is the distance between God's call and my capacity and willingness to respond to the attitude and actions of Jesus, right? That distance. And one of the things that David and Sarah are navigating is they're seeing how short that distance can be at times. Because there's at times where that call and that response is all you have. That may be a call in the middle of the night to say, you got to ask for help. And it's like, I'm going to pray for help, and then we're going to go back to sleep, right? That's the distance, though. That's that's the, the differentiation. And I think sometimes what we forget is that uh, it's in the, the harder times that God reminds us how close he actually wants us with him. And, uh, you know, listen, my prayer continues for you and your family, for Lydia. Thank you. I think your kids are stellar. I think you guys are amazing. And Lydia's outstanding. There's probably not enough superlatives for her. Um, thank you for being raw and real in this. I know the journey's not done. I believe, just for the record, and have it in a podcast somewhere, I believe that God's going to heal. I think great things will happen. Um, I wish I knew the timing of all of that, but I believe I serve a pretty great God. I know you do too, and, um, and it'll be a great day. And then there'll be new horizons and new mountains and new challenges. But the good news is, um, you know the one who gets you through this one. And you've known the one who got you through Russia and who's gotten you to each other, right? There's nothing quite as heartbreaking as watching the girl of your dreams walk through the door with another guy in her arms. Right. So, I didn't know at the time, <laughs> so but yes, I agree. Do that too. 
So uh, anyway, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon. Thanks. Really Thanks for having us. us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dave and Sarah. So many great insights there. Uh, so much to consider and think about, especially as it pertains to following God in the middle of hardship and difficulty. What happens when our plans uh, suddenly are derailed and uh, God steps in and says, okay, I'm going to allow some things to happen that are going to change your plans, but are actually going to grow you and better you and help you. There's just so much to consider in that. And I'm reminded of the scripture passage that says, he who, be, he, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in you. And I just want to remind us all, God wastes nothing. There's no mess that God wastes in creating his masterpiece. So between now and the next time that you tune in, keep growing.